Acts chapter 19. To get us started, there's a book that you may have heard of. Anyone heard of the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell? A few, a few, two of us heard that. Anyway, I can give you <clears throat> at least a part of the uh, uh, gist of the book. Basically, Malcolm uh, paid attention to studies and maybe did some of his own, <clears throat> trying to figure out what's the secret to people becoming elite in their area or skill set. So for an example, uh, he followed an extended study over young violin students. So it started when they were little, you know, five or six years old, and they studied them for years. And the, what the, long story short, what they found was the determining factor in them becoming elite violinists was the number of hours they spent practicing. What was interesting to me was it was not, they, could, they didn't find any connection to their natural talent, found all kind of connection to how many hours they worked at their task. And they actually came up with this magic number of hours if you want to be amazing at some skill. Did anybody, anybody want to take a guess on how many hours, right? It was actually, it was 10,000 thousand hours, and I don't think it's a, as soon as you hit, hit 10,000, you become amazing, but it was basically this 10,000 hour mark uh, will, is that place where you become elite in an area of life. Does that make sense? I think it kind of makes sense, like we all know that practice makes perfect and all those kind of things. I thought I'd break that down a little bit because, and you might want to head there mentally, is there any area of your life that you'd like to be great at? Someone's like, nah, I'm good. But like, what about good at? Like an area of your life you'd be like, oh, I think it'd be nice to be good at. Well, let's explore what 10,000 hours of effort might look like. 10,000 hours equals 417 days, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So there you go. Just set aside 417 days, work at your craft with no sleep for a year and one-seventh of the next year. That would, that's a way to do it. Or if you decided to break it down at eight hours a day, right, it would take you three and a half years to get there. That might be a little more realistic. Or if you practice three hours a day, seven days a week, in nine years, you'd get there. That's what the study showed. So here's a couple thoughts. My reaction to that information. My first thought is, all right, let's get to it. I actually had a little bit of apprehension because I think, well, if I could do three hours a day for nine years, I'm not sure I'll be alive for nine years. So I almost like, I don't know, maybe I won't make it to great. But I did think, because I think there's a good principle there, part of it is, you know, like get to it because time's a, time's a wasted and it will help us move forward and be really, really good at something. And then my second thought was, what about if we just got God involved and see what he could do in our lives to make us get there a lot faster? Does that make sense? Anybody? Like, what if, we, what if God got involved in such a way that our pace wouldn't take, it wouldn't take nine years to get there? Let me give you a couple of examples of that. You may have heard of the, the story of David and Goliath. 
If you've been around the church, it's kind of a common story where this young guy goes, gets in a, a fight with this older, skilled, huge warrior dude. Dude, that's in the Bible. It says it a lot in the Bible. It's in the Greek. It's dudos, and it means dude. It doesn't. Um, but in that story, by the way, the young guy, David, totally skills out the guy who you would think who had, had the 10,000 hours of practice because it says in 1 Samuel 17, the king says to David, he said, you're only a young man and he's been a warrior from his youth. Goliath had probably put his 10,000 hours in, but who won? David. And the key there was God was involved in David's life. Another example is uh, Peter, the apostle Peter, you read much of the New Testament, you'll hear about Peter and the Gospels. The first sermon Peter ever preached. So how many hours of practice did he get for that? Like, I don't know, it really was kind of spontaneous. But it says that about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people made commitments to Christ, his first message. That's pretty good. And that was his speaking skills day one. I think that some of us listening or watching have experienced the quick transformational power of God. Think about your own life. You've experienced Jesus. You got saved. You became born again. And there was a switch that got flipped in a rapid pace because before Christ you were really an average spouse and Jesus came in and you know what you're doing good now or before Christ you were an aggressive hater and now you're a patient caring person or you were addicted and kind of consumed with your own wants and needs. And now you're free and you're serving other people. And it didn't take you nine years to get there. Does anybody relate to that? Anybody had God transform your life in a very quick way? And you're, it's okay, we won't think you're, you know, proud to raise your hand and say you're actually, anybody actually kind of good at something that before you were really bad at? Kind of good. One of us is really kind of good at something. No, you know what I mean, and we're not being, it's just a testimony to how much God can move us forward in a, in a much different pace than nine years of practice or 417 days without. All right. Simply put, God can make people remarkable in a pretty short period of time. Now hold that thought. We're in this series called Audience of One, and it's a series on lordship. And today we're going to study a man named Saul. His name is also Paul through most of the New Testament. It's the same guy, all right? His name, because of his encounter with Jesus and transformation that happened, God gave him a new name. So it's Saul or Paul, and he's one of the spiritual greats in the Bible. And today we're going to look at his uh, coming to Jesus and a, a very quick change of trajectory in his life. So background, Acts chapter 9. Saul's a bad guy. 
He's attacking Christians. He has a track record of persecuting people. Uh, part of his track record is very likely, likely he's responsible for the death and the murder of Christians. He's on his way to a town called Damascus, where he's again going to do some bad things. And so let's pick it up in verse 3. In this text, it refers to Paul as Saul. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Let me fill in some gaps here. Uh, Saul is dazed. He's been blinded by the flash of light. He is led into the town by friends. In his confusion, he starts a three-day fast. He stops eating food and water, and I think basically he's fasting and praying, and I think his prayer is, God, what's going on? Like, what just happened to me? So I, uh, you could argue God hears his prayer, and he sends Saul a messenger to explain what's going on. Pick it up in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. I won't read it now. We'll touch on it later. Ananias hesitates when God says, go pray for him. He hesitates because he knows Saul's reputation is Saul kills people like Ananias. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Let me finish the story. Ananias goes. He prays for Saul. Saul's sight is restored. Saul gets baptized. He becomes arguably the greatest apostle ever, and it didn't take him 10,000 hours to get there. In fact, the entirety of the text that we're looking at today is, if you go all the way to the end, three weeks, something like that. And uh, let's see, less than a month for sure. So verse 19 says, after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. And verse 21 says, all those who heard him were astonished. Title of the talk this weekend is A Moment of Decision, and I want to explore this idea of rapid spiritual transformation. And you may have already done this, but I'd ask you again, is there an area of your life you'd really like to be great at? 
And can I, can I just invite you to go a little bit deeper than, I'd really like to have great hair. Or I'd like to be great at Fortnite. Or, you know, like, could you go just a little deeper than, if I could have abs that sung, like, that would be, I don't even know why I said abs that sung. But, you know, can you go, like, something where, like, God would use you to be the, the best parent ever. Or to, to, to figure out how to do finances so that they weren't just about you, but that you could actually change your part of the world because of the way you did finances. Like those kinds of things. Wouldn't it be cool for God to make you great at prayer? That's the thing that came to my mind. Like, wouldn't it be great to be able to pray in such a way that God like consistently said yes to that prayer? So think of something like that. One of the reasons I'm, I, I'm really, I don't use this word a lot when I think of my preaching. <laughs> But I'm kind of excited about this talk because I think God could really use us in phenomenal ways because of some of the principles that we're going to look at. So let me pray. And I'm going to give you two um, parts of this encounter that I think brought rapid change into Saul, Paul's life. So let me pray. God, will you make our hearts, minds, emotions open? I do, I know, God, that you look down on this group of people. You look down on those at home or at Grape Road, and you look and you see these, uh, pot this potential to have a huge impact. And there's an urgency. And so will you make our hearts receptive in such a way that even today, this week, soon, you would transform us into something way better than we are today. For your glory and for the sake of your kingdom and other people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, two ideas. First one is this. Are you with me? Anybody listening? All I need is one person and I'll keep going. Thank you. Wow, sold. Keep on preaching. Paul experienced rapid change through an authoritarian encounter. That's kind of a big word. Authoritarian encounter. In other words, God did not have like a warm, fuzzy, polite conversation with Paul that brought about this great change. If you look at verse 5, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. That's kind of authoritarian, isn't it? Who are you, Lord? God didn't say, I'm your best friend. He basically establishes this idea of, I got an assignment for you. And by the way, this word, you will be told what you must do. I explored that a little bit. Here's the definition uh, in the original language. Uh, it's interesting that it's uh, die, but it's, it is a necessary, inevitable, it's a duty. I don't know what this means, but it's third person, singular, active, present tense. But what caught my attention was it is actually used impersonally. So the idea that comes to my mind is 
is Paul, if Paul would have said, well, Lord, you know me, you know, my name's Saul, and you must know all about me. Do you care about what I think of your plan? God would have said, no. That's not this kind of dialogue. It's not that God at times is not very interested in us and loves us and has compassion, but there's sometimes God's like, yeah, I don't really care. I got a plan, and I want you to do this. It's much more commanding. It's just like, no, no, no. This is what you must do. By the way, he took a similar approach to Ananias. I didn't read this, but, but when God said to Ananias, the guy who's going to go pray for, uh, for Paul, you know, go pray for Paul because he's seen a vision and you're going to go there and he's going to receive his sight. Verse 13, Ananias says, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. That's Bible language for God. I, I'm not sure I like this plan because I'm scared. And, and it says, the Lord said to Ananias, oh, that's okay. You don't have to go. That's not what it says. We'll put it up, right? He didn't say, he said, <laughs> I like paying attention to exclamation points in the Bible. It says, the Lord said to Ananias, go. I think if God says go, it would be much more commanding than my voice. I'm like, go. No, God, like, I think if the Lord said go, there would be like this echoing, oh, and you would just, yes. I right, so he just says Go. So here's an idea, fill in the blank. There are moments in our quick development, remember that's what we're talking about. How do you move farther, faster, quickly? There are moments in our quick development where God becomes downright dictatorial. Now that may be too big of a word for, here, for us here at Vineyard. So just write bossy, where God becomes downright bossy. Remember, a lot of you, you've been around the church very long. You know a little bit of my story where I became a Christian when I was 20 years old. And I've told this story before where uh, I'd been a Christian, I don't know, maybe a few weeks. And I was at my friend Mike Ben's house. And we were playing pool in his basement. And I was leaning over a shot that I should have made and I missed it. And so I just did what I typically did. And I just let the cuss words fly. Marshmallows. Oh, stinky. That, that's not what came out of my mouth. So I let this stuff, and some of you have heard this story. I was down there. I, if, if, if that house still exists and I could go to the spot where it felt like God leaned over my right shoulder, and I didn't hear his voice audibly, but it was very clear. And he said to me, you're going to stop talking like that. By the way, and he wasn't rubbing my shoulders as he whispered that in my ear. It was really clear. And can I tell you, in that one encounter, you know, 12 seconds, it changed me virtually immediately. I have never cussed since. <laughs> Were you buying that? Are you kidding me? Okay, so that's not true. But... <laughs> But I tell you, my life changed. It's not an overstatement. It was like night and day difference from that evening to the next day. 
And it was when God came and was very authoritative in his communication with me. I want to do a side note. My heart in this is to uh, not hurt your feelings, but in case you need to explore this. If you have never heard the authoritative, bossy voice of God, you may not be a Christian. I'm just telling you, if this makes no sense to you, that you've never had God urge you in a powerful way to either stop something or start something now, chances are you don't know God because it's a big section of who he is. And I don't say that to, to, because I don't like you. I say that because I do like you. And you should say, wait a minute, what? And you should say, God, if I don't know you, I want to know you. Does that, so I say that because this is a huge part of who God is. He is the Lord of our lives and not just a distant Savior. And by the way, sometimes it's not, it's, sometimes it's not just prohibitive things like stop that. When I was, uh, uh, this has probably been 20 years ago, and we were just trying to get the church started. And it was going not so well. You know, you hear these church planting stories or like so-and-so. Like they start a church and boom, there's a gazillion people. Not the way it happened at Vineyard. Where I was going, it was a Sunday morning and we were going to go. And I was going to go and I was going to plan on doing a talk. And on my way there, I was probably going to go talk to 38 people that morning. And on my way there, I don't remember the context. I wasn't praying really. And it was like God came in the car and he told me, reminded me of a verse, and it was this. It said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I don't remember whether he said Mark, but he said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And it changed my perspective on some of the ways I used to try to preach and teach and communicate because I was always trying to be somebody else and my brain's a little quirky sometimes. And it was like he said, just go ahead and say marshmallow and it'll be okay. Or make an illustration. Does that make sense? If you've been around very long, every once in a while I say something really stupid, sometimes maybe a little comical. But it was like he said, just go ahead and do that. I'll use that. Be that. And it really did change who I was and some of the things. It just was, and it wasn't to beat me up. It was like, I got something for you. Do this and it's going to help. And I really think it has helped. I'll give you an assignment on the idea. Remember, the idea here is if we will do these things and submit to the authoritative voice of God, we'll move farther, faster. If you want to explore, uh, in, you can find this in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. It's when the Spirit led Jesus out into the desert to be tempted for 40 days. And it doesn't say the Spirit invited him. It doesn't say that God interacted with Jesus, the Father interacted with Jesus and said, what do you want to do? You want to go out to the desert or not? It was, it was a go out here. He went out there and endured that for 40 days. But it's when he came back, because he submitted to it, it says in Luke, Jesus returned, this is after the temptation, returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And his ministry turned miraculous after the 40 days where God took him to a place. So let's bring this idea into the room. 
what is my response to God's aggressive direction? I wonder what would happen if we stopped negotiating with God when he gave us commands. Well, it's really easy to negotiate. So God says, like in the physical realm, he says, I want you to fast. And then we say, well, can I, I think I'll do smoothies. Can I do smoothies? Or spiritually, he says, I need you to pray hard. And then we say, how about if I just listen to more worship music during my drive to work? You see how we don't just say yes, we adjust his plan. Or he says, tithe. And then we say, well, I, I'll study that. Let me study that out. Or relationally, he says, you sinned. I want you to go to Joe and ask forgiveness. And we say, well, if Joe comes to me today at 2 o'clock with a new car and a smile on his face and a t-shirt that says, then I'll know, Lord, this is really what you want me to do. You know how we do that, you know? We come up with all these things, and <laughs> you want to make God's day. This is a side note. Just go, you want to make God's day. The next time he says, hey, do this, just go, okay, and then just do it. <laughs> God will be like, what just happened? And he also might say, man, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to take you somewhere. I don't know whether I want to add this to it or not. One more example from my own life. Don't encourage me. Thank you. Uh, I was reading Proverbs 23, 6, 20 years ago. And it says, Do not eat the bread of a stingy man, and do not crave his delicacies, for he is keeping track, inwardly counting the cost. And I remember reading that. I was just reading my Bible. And when God leaned over and he said, Mark, he did use my name this day. Mark, you are a stingy man. And I am so grateful for his voice because it changed me because I realized, oh gosh, I am. I'm a and you know how long it took me to make a major shift out of that? Nine seconds. The next day, I'm like, okay. Don't want to be that. It's just amazing, the power of his authoritative voice. So Paul experienced rapid change from a, through an authoritarian encounter. One more thing. Can you go one more? I need some, yep. Okay, one more. Uh-huh. Paul experienced rapid change through early suffering. Boy, this is a fun talk, isn't it? Suffering. Before we get to the text, put a couple basketball images on the screen. The first... Uh, the first guy, Michael Jordan, remember when old Michael Jordan used to play basketball? Some of us remember. Uh, LeBron James is up there. I still remember years ago watching Michael Jordan. He would get done playing, and as soon as he would get on the bench, if he was done with the, for, the, for the day, they would put ice packs on his knees. Anybody seen this in profession? Like, they, no? This, this was not the only picture like this. Yeah, and I remember back then thinking, wow, because he was still young, what's, what's up with the ice pack? By the way, it wasn't because he 
was having knee surgery or had had knee It was just, and they do the same thing oftentimes with the guys like LeBron James. Like, what's up with that? And so I was considering that. And it's because, by the way, can we just admit that these are elite athletes in their field? Okay? And it's because the joints of an elite athlete has already gone through so much more than what most people have, they have to start icing their knees early. Is that, are you with me? It's because of the amount of life and pain that they have already been through. There are countless examples of this. Uh, Any great corporate leader has gone through the pain of making hard decisions and disappointing people and not being someone's favorite. It's part of the deal. The best parents I know have gone through the difficult moments of disciplining their kids even when the kids didn't understand why they were getting a spanking, but they did it knowing it was what's best for their soul. Right? And that's hard as a parent when you think, I'm not sure he totally gets this. But you still do what needs to be done, and that is hard. Or the parent has gone through the anguish of fighting for their kid in prayer because their prayer, because their kids do, and they fight, and that's hard. Financial greatness. Anyone who's in a financial great situation has probably gone through the ache of wanting something, but waiting until you have the cash to pay for it. Now, I need to pause because some of you just, you missed that concept right there. You're like, wait a minute, what? No, there are some things that you have, that you wait. It's called delayed gratification, and it's a principle. Some of you are still not getting this. <laughs> like, wait, I don't understand. Don't you feel like, but if I have a card, I could just go ahead and, because then I can have the, having this. But anybody who's been great financially has worked through financial principles that most people will avoid, but it sets the stage for their greatness. It's not easy stuff. It's the hard things that can kind of hurt, like working long days. Again, like are you talking more than a five-hour shift? Maybe. At least this is just my experience with anybody that I know that's well ahead, like doing well. I'm thinking of a person now. And they... (laughs) They don't, they don't work, you know, 32 hours a week to get to those places. They know what it's like to work those hard, long days. Or a prayer warrior knows the discomfort of going without food because they're fasting. Now, can you just agree with me that those scenarios, there's some pain that those elite people have gone through that other people haven't? Does that make sense? That's the way it works. So let's get back to the text God has this encounter with God, and it includes significant discomfort. Have you ever heard those conversion stories, or how, how did you come to know Jesus Christ? And they say, oh, it was awesome. And, you know, I, was, I met him, and then it was like waves of love just flowed over me, and I was happy for 13 days without, it's just like, oh, it's, you know those? That's not Paul's encounter with God. Paul would probably describe it if you say, hey, so what was it like when you came to Jesus? He, he would say, well, I, I, I fell to the ground. God yelled at me. And then I had no food and water for three days, and I was blind. 
well, how do you like following Jesus so far? I think Paul would go, it kind of hurts. So I was asking the question, Lord, why so harsh with Paul? And I think maybe this is a valid theory. You can write this down. Paul is destined to be a great apostle. So God is establishing his pain tolerance. That's pretty good. I think that's what's happening. I don't think that God is trying to break Paul. I think he's trying to give Paul an experience so that the next time pain comes, Paul knows I can get through this because I've been through pain before. And by the way, he's going to have to develop this skill quickly. Because in just a few chapters, Paul's going to have to navigate verbal abuse. He's going to ha nav navigate being flogged and whipped. He's going to be beaten. And if you get flogged or whipped, that pain is going to last a lot more than three days without food and water. You can go get a, you know, a five guys cheeseburger, feel a little better after three days without some, I shouldn't have said that because some of you are not thinking of anything else I'm saying for the rest of the time. Because you're like, oh, did he just say five guys cheeseburger? But you know what I mean? If you got beaten for the name of Jesus, that kind of wound, you're going to hurt for weeks. Okay. So, if we want life change and greatness quickly, here's a question for us to consider. Is my spiritual life too driven by comfort? If you want to be great, you've got to get over the craving comfort. Last story. Young lady in the church, she was in a class that I was helping to teach Wednesday. Uh, we were having a casual conversation before the class started. I, th I would guess she's in her mid-twenties, but I can't tell anymore. Is any of you old enough that, like, everybody looks 18? Like, all, you, don't, you have no idea how many of you look 18 to me. So I, I'm guessing probably she's mid-twenties, mid I don't know, maybe 30. Uh, just a young lady, and uh, we were talking before the class. And uh, she ended up sharing a little bit that she was struggling with some anxious thoughts and anxiety. And so I said, can you stay around after class and let's, uh, let's pray about this stuff. She said, yeah. So she stayed after. I also invited a person that's on the prayer team to come with us. I said, come, we're going to pray for a few minutes. Went into the conference room and we went into this time of prayer. And sometimes times of prayers are sweet and comforting, but we dove into some of the root causes, perhaps, of why she's having these, you know, fears and stuff. Long story short, uh, it got pain, the prayer time got painful, because we were talking about a time in her life, and she began to cry, it, uh, and it wasn't a pretty cry. You ever had a not pretty cry? Yeah, so, and I knew, I tell you, I knew this hurts, where we're going here in prayer, this hurts. And I was so proud of her, because so, it was three, four, five minutes, maybe seven minutes. 
I was so proud of her because she could have said, can we stop? And she didn't. Instead, she was like, let's do this. And long story short, we prayed. Maybe it was a 10-minute time of prayer. I saw her the next day. I happened to see her the next day. And I said, how are you doing? And I think this was her response. She said, I am 100% better than I was yesterday. And you know why she got to where she, well, some of that's just the grace of God and all this. She got there because when things got hard, she didn't shrink back. And then God met her in the midst of that. So, I was just so proud of her. You can write this in. Last fill in the blank. Greatness comes from prioritizing growth over comfort. Wow. I am super hopeful that this week there's going to be an opportunity for us to practice these principles. And it'll be, it'll be encouraging to see where God will take us. Why don't you stand and we'll pray. By the way, there'll be a team of people over here to your right, my left. And if you would like some prayer, come up and sit in the front row. And for some of you in the room, that's a test. Because God's going to tell you, go get prayer. And you have to decide whether you're going to negotiate and go, well, I'll pray for, my, I'll pray for myself in my car. Yeah, okay. Or whether you'll go, let's try this stuff and, and, and get some prayer for that area of life or that meeting that's coming up this week or whatever it happens to be. Let's close. God, I pray a blessing on the prayer team as they serve people. And I pray for everyone here or at home right now that is intentioning in their heart to be spiritually courageous this week. Even today. I know, God, that you will take us to great places quickly as we do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.